Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film podcast that finds cinematic eggs that have dropped from the nest, pops them in a hot towel, nurtures them until they hatch, to see if it's a mighty missed falcon or just a wretched malformed hatchling that's fit for now but the bin. I'm Robin here at Simon and James. Hiya, boys. It's a bit dark. <laughs> You're all right, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I got a little bit carried away there. I think it's probably fair to say. <laughs> it fits perfectly with the nonsensical tone of tonight's film, so that's all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's it, all good. it jolly does. It jolly does. Uh, good to see you, fellas. Uh, what have you guys been watching this week? Uh, well, I have become absolutely obsessed with Cobra Kai, the Karate Kid sequel <laughs> series on Netflix. So this was previously on YouTube streaming service, I believe, and Netflix have sort of rescued it from obscurity, and it's doing absolute gangbusters on that platform now. So the show itself is about 100 times better than it has any right to be. It strikes a perfect balance between nostalgia, teenage melodrama, and cheese, while both subverting expectations and paying homage to the original. There's no Joe Esposito music or Elizabeth Shue yet, but other than that, it's absolutely spot on. Also, as well, something interesting, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the pilot. Also, it confirms what we already knew, that Daniel's son defeated Johnny at the Old Valley Karate Tournament with an illegal kick to the face. He's a bloody cheat, and we all knew it. (laughs) 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 Poor refereeing. There's a YouTube video, isn't there, where some guy investigates that Daniel San is actually the bad guy of um, the Karate Kid films. And it's like, and Johnny's actually the good guy. <laughs> it's really funny. This, this series lends some credence to that theory. And yeah. it's really well fleshed out in terms of you get to see the events from the original movie through a much different prism. And uh, Daniel Sun doesn't exactly come up smelling of roses. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 so yeah no i'm loving it i've absolutely came through the first series it's wow. brilliant cool so good awesome you guys would love it you guys would love it i've never seen karate kid oh, sorry sorry what <laughs> I've, never seen karate, I've never seen karate kid how is that possible oh. just, i know i i was like literally going like do i confess do i Oh, Do I wow. take this secret to my grave? Oh, know? wow. That's on that's on Netflix as well, I believe. Because I what uh, reignited my interest in watching this is I watched the original uh, with my wife a couple of weeks ago. She'd never seen the original movie at all, because why would she? But yeah, we watched it again, and I was like, I'm going to give that Cobra Kai show a watch, having watched it. And I was like, now I'm all in. I'm right back into right. the Karate Kid extended universe. That's awesome. I have seen a few people mention that they've been watching it and that they love it as well. So It's really well done. Yeah, I might have to check that out. You're not the first person who I've seen this week say it's worth a watch. So Half an hour episodes as well. Can't be. Oh, that. no, that is nice. Yeah. That is nice. So, yeah. Lovely. What about you, Sai? What have you been digging into? Uh, so I braved a trip to the IMAX uh, yesterday to watch Tenet. Oh, I'm still trying to process it all, if truth be told, but mm. I think I was into it. I think I really liked it because it looked great. The ambition of it was good. Cast are all ace. Pattinson's brilliant in it. It's so good. And like the two and a half hours like flew by when I was watching it, which is always a great sign for me because if I'm sort of in two minds whether I enjoyed a film or not, I kind of judge it on how many times I look at my watch during the film. Mm. Just like a stupid little thing. And I didn't look at my watch once. And it just, the time just completely flew by. So 
that shows I was like really fully invested and immersed in what was going on in front of me. So I must have enjoyed it, you know, to be like that. But um, I can't help but think that Nolan has out nolan himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because it feels like the sort of core concept of his of his gimmick, because most of his films have a gimmick, don't they? Yeah. And that sort of concept may outweigh what he's managed to do with the story around it, but I need to watch it again, I think, to sort of confirm that, because a lot of it went over my head. And yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to enjoy this for what I understand and know, and then I'll fill in the gaps later. But... Uh, it's definitely worth a watch. It's got to be seen on the biggest, loudest screen possible as well. Like it, cool. It is definitely worth a watch. Yeah. The thing is, with me, I I know it will improve on a second watch, but I I'm not really that eager to go back and watch it again because I got quite frustrated. The more distance I've had from it, the less I've liked it, having enjoyed oh, really? it quite a bit. So like, I was like over the weekend, I was like, hang on, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I do want to see it again, but I'm not like I remember when Inception came out. I couldn't wait to go back in again and dive back yeah. into that and yeah. and pick up everything that I've missed with this. It just feels feels more like hard work or like mandatory to actually grasp the understanding of it. Yeah, and I don't know if that makes it a good movie or not. To be honest, the, the amount the amount of people who've come out of the cinema that I've read. I mean, I've not seen it, and I, and I don't have any intention to at this point in time. Is that um, People don't know how they feel about it. They recognise it's well made, but they don't know how they feel about it. It's incredibly well made. Like, yeah, yeah that, and that in itself doesn't make me want to go, right, I've got to go see that immediately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm still, you know, hearing all this, you know, it's it's amazing that a film can make you feel like that. Yeah. Like it's almost too dense for people to to immediately enjoy. Yeah, you have to sit on it, definitely. And um, and really concentrate. Like, you can't... You do have to be on there the whole time. No toilet breaks. No snacks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just actually really, really pay attention. And I've seen a lot of complaints about the sound mix as well being really bad, where you can't really understand what's being said. Yeah. Which was a problem on The Dark Knight Rises, I remember, as well. Mm. Is he doing it on purpose? He must be. Don't know. He must be doing I it on purpose. I really don't know, but it's... <laughs> It just it seems there's one scene in particular. I don't want to spoil anything. There's one yeah. scene in particular where it's just you cannot hear the conversation because it's just a really loud on the sea. <laughs> just yeah. on the sea. Yeah, yeah. Just, I know exactly which bit you're going. I think at Again, that this point, is not making me want to yeah. go. You know? <laughs> at that point in the cinema, it was pretty empty, right? And I just went, I just threw my hands up in the air like. Huh? Like what? <laughs> what are we doing now? Uh, but I think it's definitely his closest to Inception out of all of his other films. Yeah. I think that's his probably his closest brethren. But it just there's an episode of Red Dwarf from like 30 years ago, which is just exactly what this is. And it's like, stop pretending you're like Mr. Original, Nolan. You just ripped off Red Dwarf. <laughs> I, I saw someone um, tweet yesterday, and forgive me if that person is listening and I've not credited you properly, but it was a genuine question which said, um, how does anyone have a poo in the world of Nolan's tenet? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, to be honest with you, as a uh, as a little segue, I think that's how it should have been explained to John David Washington when they were explaining <laughs> the inversion. <laughs> You're not taking a shit. You're catching it. <laughs> again, again covered covered aptly in the red dwarf episode when the cat goes yes, to the bushes exactly, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah 
That shot is so famous of Cat looking up like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and he just like shimmies back onto the ship, like, yeah. killing himself. Like, Don't ask. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. Anyway, uh, what about you, Rob? Have you caught anything this week? Yeah, I have. Um, obviously, I've been spending quite a bit of the time with the children, and they're mad into Mr. Bean at the minute. Um, so I've watched every episode oh. of Mr. Bean oh. that ever got made. Um, how many episodes oh. do you think there were? <laughs> Not as many as you think. No, no, like fourteen, something like that. Is that like, it? Literally, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, literally, that's it. So iconic. I mean, that's thirteen too many, isn't it? <laughs> You're not a fan, James. No, not I'm a fan not. Of... No. Oh dear. I was never massively. Into really? Oh no. I'm just. No. I'm never watching it through an adult lens. What an awful, awful man. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful person. You know, and he's like. I saw the one at the hospital yesterday and, you know, there's someone in like a full body cast at the hospital and he just, you know, like stands next to him stretching his neck like, ah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> doing all the things that they can't do. And, uh, oh, he's, a t- he's terrible, but I'm, I actually quite enjoyed it and the kids are really into it and I can't stop laughing at it. We also watched Three Ninjas Kick Back, um, which was, I mean, absolutely dreadful. Um, <laughs> In ways I wasn't ready for. Is that the sequel? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, it's it's just the most cheaply made hokum. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I think I've seen in a long time, and I have watched some hokum. I mean, yeah. really. Um, um, and and there's there's a five year old kid in it doing ninja, but he's eating in every scene, yeah, even yeah. the fight scenes. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's called Tum Tum. Yeah. <laughs> One of the one of them's called Rocky as well, if yes. I remember correctly. Because I used correct, to love yeah. that film when I was a kid. Yeah, as Karate Kid ripoffs go, it's not too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the hot-headed one is called uh, Colt, which I think that's a good name. That one, yeah. Colt. Who's the like sensei in that? Is it anyone famous or is it just? Yeah, like, yeah. Just... I mean, you'd recognise him immediately. It's it's um, Grandpa. Uh, Grandpa Mori Shanto, I think he's in. He's Xian in Big Trouble in Little China. What? <laughs> right. yeah. Well, that's all you need to he's, say. He's... Come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, he's also Walter Chang in Tremors, who owns the convenience store. Oh, Lovely. Uh, oh, so really, really good. Um, but sometimes, you know, I quite like to mention a book that um, I'm reading at the moment. And can I shout out this book? There's a reason why I'd like to shout out this book. Yeah, go right, for it's it. It's Max Brooks's Devolution. Okay. Max Brooks is the guy who wrote World War Z, which yes. turned into that big um, uh, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt <laughs> blockbuster, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and I know that Legendary Entertainment has picked up the rights and snapped up this already. Ooh, okay. And listeners, you can't see as I'm holding up a copy of the book. Mm-hmm. And can you see what that looks like, guys, on the front cover? It looks like a big is foot. that a Bigfoot? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It is a Bigfoot track on the front, and it's it's a mega budget Bigfoot survival tale where there's um there's a mountain um uh, sorry yeah uh, there's a, a volcanic eruption in um uh, somewhere in the uh, west coast of North America, and um, it forces you know like the, um, a green living community is cut off, and this is their survival tale told by journal extracts and the people who went there to um, well find them 
you know, what they uncovered when they got there, all pieced together from interviews. So it's sort of like it's a real multimedia piece. Um, and I've also um, listened to listening to the audio book, which is um, it's a full cast. Um, Judy Greer is the main voice in it. Oh, great. Oh, wow. And Jeff Daniels is in it as well as one of the park rangers. It, it's going to be so much fun, this movie um nothing slated yet but we we yeah so we'll have to i mean just the idea of having like a big budget from legendary and say bigfoot movie i am so down with this <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> when was this film greenlit because if it was after the episode of um abominable um, <laughs> i mean this is it isn't that's it? a coincidence I, isn't it if I mean, the book, the, yeah, the book came out this year, so I would imagine that Max Brooks was thinking about it before then. But he was actually considering this his this story as a film project uh, as far back as 2012. Oh, right. Okay. So he's been sitting on this for quite some time. But um, the it was re- announced on, I think it was 16th of June this year, that it was going to be made into a film. So all that the rights had been snapped up and it was in development. So... I don't know when our abominable episode came out, but maybe well, um, they should be showing us a little bit of credit. I think you know, that, I think that teed them over the edge to to, to sign the checks. There's a market for this. These three guys will fucking watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a movie for one specific man. Honestly, I felt like I felt like this book was written for me. Seriously, <laughs> Love honestly, it's so me. And look, you can see I've got like maybe forty pages to read. My bookmark is in there, guys. You see, so um, and I, you know, I, I know I'm going to finish it tonight. But where I've just left it in there, if they do that in the cinema, I am going to poo in my pants. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Serious, <laughs> it's going to be so great. Cool. I will look out for that. Max Max Brooks owes us a big, you know. I know. Yeah. He he should come on. Yeah. In fact, Will Wars, he probably qualifies. He does, I think. <laughs> as long as he watches Abominable first. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then listens to the podcast. Pays so, homage to those that went before him. Yes, exactly, exactly. If this does, you know, I'm saddened that the fact that there's not a pristine man in a wheelchair who goes back to the site of his wife's death <laughs> so far in this book. But um, what can you do? Awesome stuff, fellas. A uh, lovely chat, as always, to get us warmed up. And um, tonight's movie was a very interesting choice uh, from our very own Simon. Um, but it prompted suggestions and, well, suggestions of a question that we could mull over. Uh, James, would you like to um, spill the beans? Not really. It wasn't my question. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, I always do this. Whose question was it? Because we always Your... do this thing where we say, was it my question? Did I come up with this? Oh, my God. <laughs> We always say, like, does anyone have a question they want to ask? And then we spitball for a little bit. I didn't realise I got the ball moving. <laughs> oh, anyway, so, yeah, he got, right, yes, this has got, there is one heck of a double act, a star-studded double act in this movie we're oh, going to discuss tonight. Boy, there is. Boy, sheesh, there is. Um, spent quite a lot of time nude as well, uh, <laughs> which you don't often get in uh, these things. But it got me thinking, what are, boys, your favourite double acts in movies? In, in cinema. Um, and should we have the caveat that they've got to be on the same side? They can't be like on, you know, Fa- like... We can't have face-off. Like that, we're not... Yeah, we can't have face-off. Yeah, and yeah. you can't have Stallone and Phoenix in uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man. Phoenix! Phoenix! <laughs> 
so yeah, what have you got? Uh, well, one that came to mind straight away is a movie that we've covered on the pod, and that is uh, Brennan Huff and Dale Dovak from Step Brothers. Oh, fantastic yes, on screen duo. <laughs> but the makers of tonight's film haven't taken this seriously, so neither have I, right? <laughs> so, what I like about those two is they start out as mortal enemies, but put their differences aside to fight local bullies, Brennan's evil b- brother Adam, and destroy their parents' marriage while remaining carefree. And I think we can all. Take good lessons from that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. Totally agree. Second on my list is Marty and Doc from Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why is a high schooler hanging out with a creepy looking and possibly dangerous older man? Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we wouldn't get any time travel hijinks otherwise. (laughs) I know, yes. I know, exactly. Uh, Weirdly, that's not the weirdest relationship in that first movie. Um, No. Uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd have phenomenal chemistry and play off each other beautifully as they hurtle back and forth through time over the course of that trilogy. Uh, the movies wouldn't work if that relationship didn't work, and it's tantamount to it's testament, sorry, to um, Robert Zemeckis's genius with that film and the fact that he took the decision to swap out Eric Stoltz, who'd started filming the movie, because they just weren't. They weren't clicking, and he knew that was the key. Mm. They shot a lot of it as well. They as shot well. like three yeah. weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did they? Yeah, I, I knew they'd got a bit, but I didn't know three weeks. I think like all the diner stuff, you know, all the like fifties diner stuff. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, Whoa! With, with George McFly, all that stuff was shot and in the can with Eric Stoltz, and it was just like we can't. This How is depressing is that for Stoltz? I know. I know. Oh well, we're the winners, <laughs> really, aren't we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> Because you've seen the like the footage, it's all dead serious, isn't it? And he's yeah, just a yeah. Bit too, he's just a bit too like playing it a bit too straight and not. It was just a bit. Too, they wanted Michael J. Fox anyway, but they couldn't make it work with his TV schedule because he, he was on Family Ties at the time. And then they just decided that he'd just do both at the same time. He'd shoot Family Ties in the day and then Back to the Future in the evening, and he did that for months basically. Mm. Um, but they're not the greatest on-screen duo. I want to. Uh, bring up an on-screen duo that have actually been in the news this week. Ant and Deck. Yeah, no, not those, not those guys. <laughs> We're talking cinematic here. We're talking great cinema pairings. Uh, they've had a movie. What are you on about? They've been in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alien Autopsy, if you're interested. <laughs> Bill Pullman's in that movie. <laughs> but without further ado, the greatest on-screen pairing of all time has to be Paulie and his sex robot from Rocky IV. <laughs> <laughs> Did not expect that. <laughs> yeah, that came at me from somewhere else. <laughs> and it's mo- most poignant now because we've had the news that Sylvester Stallone is going to do a director's cut of Rocky IV for the 35th anniversary, and he's going to cut the robot out of the movie. Outrageous. God rest its cybertronic soul. <laughs> We'll always have the theatrical cut. I mean, why do you have to touch something that's perfect? Right? <laughs> There's absolutely no need to go back to that movie at all, right? It's two montages, a massive fight, and Paulie's sex robot. That is all we're interested in, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> and just hearts on fire. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's oh, yes. If he changes the soundtrack, he can fuck right Five minutes. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right That's the, the bit I'm worried about. If he alters that soundtrack. He's put me in a bad mood this week. So there's it's it's quite a risk us revisiting one of his films tonight because I'm not <laughs> on the best of terms with him at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, they're my picks. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. What about you, Sai? What, what's on your mind? Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So good. I love that first movie. It's absolutely brilliant. And then um, to, to take it a little more highbrow, because uh, you're not going to get any of that from tonight's film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matilda and Leon from Leon, The Professional. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah, that's good. a great film. And uh, Natalie Portman was incredibly young when she was in this film, but she really did put in an amazing performance and John Reno put in an amazing performance as it's well. It's a great yeah. movie, isn't it? It's a great movie. Um, yeah. There's a real love between the two, like a platonic love between the two of them. It's really, really good. Like a really nice friendship. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then another one, um, after many, many years of deliberation on whether I actually think this is the best film of this famed trilogy, um, it definitely is. Um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz. Oh, so um, yeah, them two in that film. But then also in the same film, Paddy Considine and... Um, Rave Spall. Rave Spall. Rave, yeah. Rave Spall. <laughs> it's like, Andy, it's okay, it's Bolognese. <laughs> <laughs> them two are brilliant. You could do a spin-off movie of just the two Andys doing could. like falling into a hard, dark crime investigation. <laughs> I just, like, that film is inadvertently seen it about 20 times because it's on telly all of the time and then you mm. flick it on and you just go oh, I'll watch 20 minutes of it and then you yeah. always end up watching the whole thing because it's that good and yeah you've got two amazing on-screen duos in, in the film <laughs> one one good guys and one bad guys who then become good guys but uh but yeah what a film that is absolutely love that movie Plus, it gives Bad Boys 2 its due, doesn't it, as well? Like, it's so reverential towards Bad Boys 2. I don't oh, know if is, they're taking yeah. the piss or not, but, like... Yeah. I mean... Like, they wholesale borrow shots from it. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. S- speaking of which, I've, on my list is Lowry and Burnett from the Bad Boys trilogy. Oh, right, um, okay. Yeah, um... Just really for the first one. I mean, the second one is so insane. I'd, it's just, and I'm not seeing the third one, but the second one is just so insane. I don't know where to go with. But in the first one, it's they're, they're a legitimately good pair. Is that the second one like three hours long? Yeah, it's like two hours forty. <laughs> yeah, like completely unnecessary. I mean, obviously. Every minute of it is absolutely incredible and nonsense. It's amazing we haven't had any Bay on this. We've done over 50 episodes and we haven't touched on Michael Bay We still Bay haven't yet. touched Bay. We haven't yeah, done yeah. Bay yet, yeah. Um, what I love most about Bad Boys 2 is they destroy an entire favela when they go out. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> killing countless innocent people. And the collateral <laughs> damage in us. Well, I mean, again, that whole... Like, when I was reading the review before it came out, it said something like... Um, because I knew I had my tickets booked to go and see it. And I, it was like, there's, there is the most incredible chase on a freeway where bodies from a like a morgue truck are being thrown at, 
<laughs> used as weapons. I'm like, this is just sounds way too mad for me. And it turns out it actually was, which is no mean feat either. <laughs> um, no, but they are a good pair. Legitimately, in the first one, I do think they're a good pair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like, this is a pretty highbrow, um, Django and Dr. Schultz, I think, are a brilliant pair. Oh in, yeah, um, Django and Chain. Yeah, oh, they're great. Yeah, totally yeah. great show. Yeah. Um, but let's let's go to possibly the best buddy cut pairing of all time, Riggs and Murtaugh. Ah, lethal weapon. Yeah. Um, they're sort of like their buddy arc throughout as they tackle things like parenthood and growing old and stuff like yeah. that. You know, I really like it. You have obviously have to sort of drop your opinions on Gibson and his antics in recent memory. Yeah, um, it's so difficult with Gibson, isn't it? Because like yeah. he's clearly a horrible, horrible person, right? <laughs> but he's got so many movies that I'd want to do on this pod because yeah. back in the day he was just absolute dynamite, but he's just yeah. a, he's just a horrible man. <laughs> I mean uh, <laughs> So yeah, I, I also special mention to Johnny Utah and Bodie, but they are kind of on separate sides, aren't they? So Ooh, it can't yeah, be allowed. Yeah. So well, you, could have, you could have said Johnny Utah and um, Big Teeth himself, uh, Gary Boosie. Oh, yeah, he yes, had two yes, great partnerships do. in that movie. <laughs> you really did. Oh, that was such a great partnership in that two, movie. Two meatballs, sir. Yeah, Utah, give me two. <laughs> oh, what a movie that is! I definitely see that again. Um, awesome, and that, without further ado, must bring us on to tonight's cinematic offering. Sai, it was your pick. Would you like to lead us in? Well, talking about great on-screen duos, um, after two distinguished LAPD detectives are framed for murder by a notorious drug baron stroke pensioner, the mismatched (laughs) crime-fighting duo... The mismatched crime-fighting duo must put their differences aside and maximise top bants to even the score with the dastardly kingpin who put them behind bars. This is, believe it or not, the last American movie released of the 1980s. It's Andre Konchalovsky's Tango and Cash. I'll tell you one thing. Whoever set us up is really connected. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Relax. Soap. And don't flatter yourself. Meet Ray Tango. He likes money. He's a Kong. He's a go. But doesn't bother with cash. Meet Gabe Cash. He won't dance around trouble and doesn't mind stepping on toes. I hate you karate guys. Two of LA's top rival cops are having a tough time staying in rhythm. You know me, huh? Yeah, I hear you're the second best cop in LA. That's funny, I hear the same thing about you. But they're going to have to work together, even if it kills them. Like now! We'll take it. No. That's one of a kind. We won't put a scratch on it. Did you sleep with my sister? I was so drunk, I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. (laughs) Tango and Cash. How have I not seen this film? This is a disgrace. I don't um, no idea, Rob. It's got you all over it. I know, it? I know. Um, just wait till we get to the wardrobe discussion. Say, uh, uh, um, Tango and Cash, why did you pick this movie? So this is one of those movies that um, was on a VHS in the cupboard at home. 
recorded off the telly with ad breaks, which you have to fast forward through the ad breaks, that me and my brother just watched and watched on repeat until that tape wore out. Very much like Big Trouble in Little China, so it's like a similar sort of affinity. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie growing up. Um, and it, I tell you, it, it's got Rocky in it, it's got Jack Burton in it, uh, it's got one of the replicants from Blade Runner with a bizarro Dick Van Dyke Cockney accent in it. <laughs> it's, it's just got, like, I mean, obviously you had to watch it the same age I was to get this nostalgic thing for it, but it's got all those elements to be a perfect nostalgic classic because it's off its tits and it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> what I mean, I'd been flirting with putting it on the pod for a while, but uh, once I found out neither of you had seen it, I was like, I've just got to put it on and, and just <laughs> at least get your two take of it. Uh, especially when you hadn't seen it when you were like eight years old. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite <laughs> rightly too. 50 yeah, the... times on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, So, James then, what, I mean, I, I usually ask what your relationship with this, but there is none. No, no. I mean, a bit like Simon, in order to get that nostalgic feel, uh, I recorded this off TV uh, in April of 2019. That's how long Simon's been floating, <laughs> freaking <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> and I recorded it on uh, TCM HD, so I got the ad breaks as well. So I was right there with you, Simon, <laughs> like watching uh. it on a worn-out VHS, but it was in HD. So, yeah, I watched this for the first time yesterday. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And, and to also then, in which case, I inadvertently also replicated your early viewing experience, Si, because uh, Amazon Prime only had it in 4-3 ratio in SD. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I watched it in, in like a lovely, it was like watching a movie on Instagram. I've not done it in so long. You know, oh, so it was so odd. Um, what are Amazon playing out there? That <laughs> you, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't rent it either. So I've bought this in this <laughs> state. <laughs> I wow. own this now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So um, I went into it with extremely um i had no idea what to expect but obviously love russell love um uh sly so yeah that's about it i mean so you must have known from an early point though that it qualified then Sly. but um james budget and box office uh is this how it gets on our radar yeah, it's it's been a little bit difficult to track down. So I've not been able to track down an international box office figure that I'm totally convinced by. Wikipedia claims it made 120 million worldwide from a 54 million dollar uh, production budget, which sounds profitable. You got to bear in mind that uh, Jurassic Park was made for 63 million, and this went 20 million over budget uh, due to various onset shenanigans. What is known for sure is it made $63 million in the States and was released on the 22nd of December, 1989. And it went head to head with uh, Steven Spielberg directed Always, which I have never seen. And I've never seen. I've never even heard of it. Well, I've never heard of it. I only know about Always uh, because in South Park they were doing an episode where they were taking the mickey out of Steven Spielberg and we basically just said, uh, director Steven Spielberg, director of such films as Always in 1941. <laughs> 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 but apparently it's a romantic comedy drama starring Richard Dreyfuss. So. 
I don't know. Great. I should check it out one time. Oh my word. But yeah, Christmas movie. I, I, there's something about like summer LA movies which they release at Christmas. I said, why? Wh- I don't understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. I don't understand how, it. How did this film cost that much money? It's an LA studio film where they just film it in and around the lots. Like, <laughs> this I, is like 20 easy million money. over budget. I mean, what it's is like, happening? This should be like just one of the like. Let's just churn out a movie for twenty million and make fuckloads of money off the back of it. I mean, it looked like it was made over a weekend. <laughs> it, well, it, pro- it probably had something to do with the fact that it had four separate directors at one point. Oh my word! <laughs> we'll so, get into well, that. Actually, you guys mentioned that there was some trivia. That there was quite a bit of trivia on this movie. Um, so I've deliberately avoided any behind-the-scenes information. So I know nada. I know zip. So I've looked forward to these tales. So it's. Uh, you can't. I know it's actually a hit. Not really a hit, but it made money. Kind of, yeah. But so we know for a fact that it made sixty-three million in the states, and then if sliced alone's a big star in other territories as well, so it probably made at least thirty to forty million as a conservative estimate in the other territories as well. So yeah, I think it's done okay. But yeah, it was a troubled production, which we'll get into. Like, <laughs> oh my word! So exciting. Uh, so in which case, it must be um, well sneaking under our noses via critical reception. Is that right, Si? Well, it, I mean, it does, obviously. <laughs> but um, I, I honestly thought it would have been both on this occasion because I thought this was one of that string of films Kurt Russell had where they were all bombs, you know, like after Big Trouble in China and The Thing and things like that. I thought this was one of those movies. He had a big string of flops in the 80s. Critically, um, yes, it did not fare well. Um I mean, I have no idea why. I can't think of, I can't think of one reason why. Ron Tomatoes is quite similar to um, Jurassic Park, actually. 30% uh, critically um, and 52% audience. So not massive. Metacritic's 41 with the audience is 6.5. Over on Letterboxd, it's a mighty 3.1. So, you know, people have a bit of taste after all. <laughs> found an audience. <laughs> Honestly, though, critically, especially stateside, literally everyone hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Noting in particular the waste of talent. There was a lot of love for Kurt Russell, a a bit of love for Stallone, but pretty much no love whatsoever for the script or the Stallone. (laughs) Uh, Or anything else, for that matter. Um, Sadly, though, the sheriff was out of town on this when it was released. Oh, Um, no. He's off for Christmas. He's not going to see Tango and Cash. Oh, of course. Of course, that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. The sheriff don't work Christmas. (laughs) I'm confident. I'm confident Mick would have rated it. So, uh, (laughs) balls to you guys. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. But enough with the negative stuff. I'm going to go to positive stuff. Uh, Nigel Floyd at Time Out gave it three out of five and said, what makes this shoot 'em up nonsense surprisingly watchable is Randy Feldman's rapid fire dialogue. Not sure that's true. (laughs) 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 Which constantly undercuts the macho posturings while parodying Stallone's screen image. And then... Similar vein, Kirsty McNeil on of Empire, who I think we mentioned her last week. I think she reviewed the film last week quite favorably as well. She said, um, Stallone and Russell play well off each other, and with Palance lurking in the background, this buddy breakout never loses its way. Nice. So yeah. 
There is some good. There is some uh, light um, breaking through the cracks of despair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just before we we, we talk about the film, I'll, there was one uh, on Letterbox I wanted to mention, um, which which I just I just, I'm just, I mean I'm into this. Uh, this was watched by James, not our James, um, <laughs> who gave it three stars and said. What a way to end the 80s. An absolutely ludicrous, borderline parody of an action movie. Everything is on fire, or about to be on fire. Everything is steaming, and everyone is sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Accurate. Everyone is sweaty. I didn't notice that until I read the (laughs) Sheen everywhere. Lovely. Absolutely. (laughs) Fabulous. Um, So, well, we know why it's here. Now... You mentioned there are four directors at one point, James. Yes. Care to elaborate? So Sai called this uh, in his intro Andrei Konchalovsky's uh, Tango and Cash. I don't think that's strictly true no. based on what <laughs> happened. <on stage. laughs> so let's first talk about uh, Konchalovsky. His work has encompassed theatrical motion pictures, made-for-television films and stage productions in both Russia and the United States. He was a frequent collaborator of Andrei Tarkovsky uh, earlier in his career. So obviously that makes him a perfect fit for Tango and Cash. I mean, who... <laughs> First choice. <laughs> Let's get that Russian dude. <laughs> oh dear. So it sounds like they've not quite matched the tone of the piece with the director on this uh, occasion. So it must we must say at this stage that the film is actually produced by one John Peters, who in the same year produced uh, Batman 1989, he also produced Wild Wild West, and uh, he is formerly Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. So he's. Um... I thought you were going to say husband then, but no, no, hairdresser. <laughs> credentials. There are his credentials. These are my credentials. What good word, credentials, <laughs> yeah. by the way. He has a bit of a reputation, John Peters, and uh, Kevin Smith tells an amazing story of what it was like working with him back in the 90s when he was commissioned to write a script for uh, a new Superman back in the 90s. Mm. So what I would suggest to listeners is just Kevin Smith, John Peters into YouTube, and there's about a 20-minute anecdote of what a maniac John Peters was to work with. <laughs> and he was in charge of this production, and it shows because he fired um, the original director, Konchalovsky, uh, because he wanted a more serious tone, uh, the director did, and uh, John Peters and his relationship became untenable. So the film went through three more directors after his firing. Stallone stepped in, obviously. Then the second unit director, Peter McDonald. And finally, Albert Magnoli, who directed Purple Rain, the Prince movie, stepped in to finish things off. So four directors went through this and it ended up running $20 million over budget. Oh, my word. I mean, that's a troubled... Shoot. Oh, I'm not even finished yet. <laughs> I'm not even finished yet. S- Stallone oh. fired the original uh, <laughs> director of photography, <laughs> who was one Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld, yeah. Yeah. Of Men in Black fame. Yeah. No. He fired him. Um, he said he wasn't lighting him to his satisfaction, and he brought in uh, Donald uh, Thorin, who had shot Midnight Run and the Sylvester Stallone starring uh, Lockup about uh, the arm wrestling trucker. <laughs> Does Stallone produce all these movies? Because he's quite a big voice on set, isn't he? All yeah, well, it sounds to me like he's all over everything without actually having the credits mm. on there. He had to, he, Him and Schwarzenegger wielded so much power back in the day. It was real star power. 
if the star wasn't happy, then things got fixed pronto. But yeah, that's uh, that's about the size of it. So that sort of suggests how it managed to go twenty million dollars over budget. <laughs> it's crazy. They they had to bring in a, a, another editor as well because the mm. first cut was so bad that they brought in Stuart Baird, who's quite famous for saving a lot of edits. So even in post, it was a nightmare. <laughs> Dear me, it does sound like a proper disaster. Doesn't show though. Doesn't show though, guys. Doesn't show. <laughs> you never know. No. <laughs> Stuart Baird has some amazing credits on his uh, CV. He did the original Superman and Casino Royale, which is brilliant. He's got some duds on there as well. Um, he actually did Demolition Man as well, actually. Oh, lovely. He did The Last Boy Scout as well. He did Lethal Weapon 1 and 2. Dude. I think that's obviously why he brought him in if he did Lethal Weapon. Yeah. You'd suspect this film got made or this script got picked up because of Lethal Weapon. It's a very similar sort of buddy cop thing isn't it and Kurt Russell was actually supposed to be the Mel Gibson character in Lethal Weapon but he, it was, he, he passed on the role I'm, I bet he's regretting that Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he did. he's basically he's done what Sean Connery did after he passed on uh, The Matrix and Lord, and Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand <laughs> them the next one thing that came along that was remotely similar he just jumped on it basically yeah. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> sending it back like... in the wrong horse <laughs> Poor Kurt Russell. I love Kurt Russell. Bless him. He's such an earnest dude. Love he is. He's good <laughs> in this movie as well. He's excellent in this movie. Um, speaking of the movie, should we dive in? Yes, absolutely. Because yes. I'm sure more trivia will reveal itself as we go. So we open up with, um, well, immediately we're in 80s action town because the score tells us we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Straight away. It's one of the best scores of an 80s movie. Uh, like, it really is. What was the brief? Make this as 80s as possible. You've got a whole decade <laughs> behind you. Make it as 80s as possible. <laughs> well, I've written in my notes, it's uh, Axel Foley meets New Kids on the Block. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's Harold Faltermeyer, isn't it? It is, yeah. And then I looked after it. Of course it is. It's uh, Harold Faltermeyer who did Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun as well famously so this is right in his wheelhouse I, mean, I love the idea they got someone in to try and make this serious but no one told the people in charge of the music <laughs> <laughs> there was going to be anything. honestly it sounds like children have been let loose in a garage hitting things with pipes oh, like it, it's ace yeah oh. I, I love it and then um, we're in um Mad sort of cop territory, aren't we? Eighties cop territory when yeah. it's like, but this is no longer our jurisdiction. Uh, and then you know, turning the radio off and you know, going off and trying to take someone down. It's great, and it's Sly, and Sly is playing against his you know usual the usual perception of of Sly. Why? Because he's got spectacles on. <laughs> well, I mean, well, originally I was like, <laughs> do you remember the wrestler IRS? Yeah, yeah. Like, Why Sly dressed like I Irwin R. Shyster? <laughs> I mean, he's definitely a lot like slimmer in this, isn't he? That he's he is, yeah, yeah. He's not as built, you know. Obviously, he's still like ripped, but he's not massive. No, no, he's not in Rambo physique, is he? At this stage, no. And he's just really crisply dressed in some like designer suits, and he's got like a lovely car. Oh, he's his tiny yeah. little gun, his tiny little revolver. Yeah. There's this heist, isn't there, that's going on at the minute? Not a heist, it's a, it's a drug running operation that he breaks yeah. up, isn't it? And, um, yeah, they're in a big petrol tanker, aren't they? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, presumably, you know, petrol tankers full of drugs, presumably nicked from the same year as James Bond film, Licence to Kill. 
I don't know. Probably. Well, this scene was stolen <laughs> also from uh, Jackie Chan film Police Story. Uh, this opening oh. sequence was stolen from that, where it's a, it's like a chicken, like a one-on-one. Oh yes. Standoff with a with a big eighteen wheeler and just him on his own. <laughs> uh, and it's got. Um, had you ever? seen this guy before who's driving the truck who's the bad guy with the obscene chin who's playing face in this movie who's one of the bad guys oh my word yes um what's his name um i mean robert zdar or zidar yeah he's like a lithuanian Um, actor and um he yeah he's I remember his face. His face comes to me in my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, he's still acting now, is he? You know, he's in. He was in this year's Spring Fever. Apparently, he he's got like a a, a good back catalogue of a lot of B movies, hasn't he? Like, he's yeah, done, he's yeah. in Maniac Cop and things. like Yes, that. he was. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, what a look he's got! <laughs> it's a strong look, isn't it? And by look, I mean chin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! Um, yeah, I forgot he was the guy because I, I, I think I missed that at the start because obviously I was watching it in pan and scan turdo vision, <laughs> so I might not have had the full impact until I saw him because they come across him later in prison, don't they? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was when I really yeah. thought, "Good God, that's a that's quite a memorable visage." <laughs> so yeah, so, so um. Tango stops this truck and reveals that they've actually been hoarding loads of cocaine. Yeah. Um, so he, he stops all that and makes a lovely little Rab- Rambo reference. Oh, There's quite so a lot meta, of self, yeah. self-referential <laughs> stuff, isn't there? Yeah. And we, we've got our like trio of uh, of drug barons who are a bit pissed off. Jack Palance is like the main big drug baron. Um, what's his name? Eves Perrette. Is that what yeah. his name is? Yes. It's ridiculous. Everything about this guy is ridiculous. He's like he talks like this. It's tango and it's cash. He's <laughs> <laughs> literally just walked off the set of Batman '89, aren't he? And just walks straight into this one, done exactly the same thing. If it's not tango, it's cash. It's cash. It's tango. <laughs> Which one is it? Yeah, um, and then. And then we're brought into uh, my favourite person in the whole world, Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. And oh. again, his theme tune is even better. It's like he's like the comedy guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... What I love about this film is they're essentially the same person, but he's just a bit scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's, he, this is... His hair is out of this world in this movie. Oh, I, I think, like, honestly, we've had some good hair, but this this is in the same elite level bracket as Van Damme in Hard Target levels of hair. It's a, it's, I mean, Kurt Russell has always had a great bounce, hasn't he? But uh, oh, yeah. it's, very, it's, it's on show here. It's Oof. it's made quite obvious from the off that Palance and uh, David Lopan <laughs> are really pissed off, and they um, they're just trying to get these two guys out of the equation because they're just a thorn in their side of yeah. of these drug barons and then we're, we're sort of like we're split into two though so we've got is it uh tango's on the west coast of la yeah and cash is on the east coast of la yeah and they're like rivals aren't they because they're in the paper like oh cash has yeah. foiled this 
drugs bust and then Tango's done this one. It's a bit more yeah. for the paper. I do enjoy how every main plot point in this uh, movie is communicated via uh, a newspaper clipping. Zero exposition, just a newspaper with literal words telling you what's happening. Oh, and racial slurs. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. Some horrendous... Um racial slurs and then terry hatch is in it but they don't i didn't quite get what was going on with terry hatcher at this point and i'm not sure you're supposed to know I no. you're supposed to assume that that they are in a relationship but that's not the case no. as we'll find no. out later but i when i what because i forgot what this was uh her relationship to tango was and i was watching it and going oh is she his daughter because she's very young. And yes, she is. Mid thirties or something. She's about eighteen. <laughs> don't say mid thirties. Don't say. Don't say. I don't want to know how old they were in this film. I wish I looked like Stallone when I was thirty. Well, now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did anyone else uh, pick up who was the um, the uh, sort of Tango's chief of police? I did. It was Frank from Double Impact. It was. <laughs> yes. Good old Jeffrey Lewis, he of the worst ever IMDb profile. Um, talented and highly capable character actor Jeffrey Lewis with rustic, sometimes sour-faced looks. Um, he's <laughs> uncredited in this film. I know. Look, he's got a massive wig. I, th- I was going to say, like, I thought I was really expecting a punchline with that wig, but it never came. <laughs> no, <laughs> never came. Just, just brilliant. Uh, why is he uncredited? I don't know. What, uh, you know. Do you think he took his name off it? Like he was so embarrassed by the film when he saw it. Like, <laughs> like no, because he's just he's got more lines and scenes than the than Cash's police captain who's on the other yes, side definitely. of town. So it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know who took his name off it. Like, but he did. He's good though. Jeffrey Lewis is good in it. Yeah. I like him. The guy, the uh, Cash's. Um... Police chief is Edward Bunker, isn't he from Reservoir yes, Dogs? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, we get intros these these guys, these hotshot cops. But uh, Palance is really annoyed. If it's not Tango, it's Cash. If it's Cash, it's Tango. <laughs> and he has set up a plan where he's going to frame them. And he explains this plan with uh, by using uh, an elaborate plastic maze and some lab rats. Yes. Uh, because it's not simple enough just to say I'm going to frame Tango. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps those mice in a little drawer on the top of his desk, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in like a cigar box, isn't it? Or yeah, like, so oh. many. I've got uh, his lair where he works. I've got so many questions about later on. I mean, really. Oh. But yes, this it's it's we're ticking along with the absurdity, ratcheting it up a yeah. little bit. Well, I, mean, we're, I mean, at this point, you, you've maxed out, so you're like, right, let's just sit back and enjoy how preposterous this movie is. Getting. Yeah, yeah, I'm going with this now, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's it's sort of like they, both Tango and Cash realise that they've been sort of lured to the same place at the same time, almost. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then... Um, oh, they get caught by the police who've had a tip and their guns are there and... Their fingerprints on guns that have killed people. Oh, no. Is that right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, basically. I yeah. found it's quite hard to follow this bit. Yeah, that's it. No, you've got it. Oh, good. That's no, good no you have got it. There, there was a little um, reference before where Kurt Russell was whinging that someone had been handling his gun yeah. in, in his oh, drawer. yes. Because the sights were off. And then yes. this was the gun that was planted uh, at the scene. And it was um, an undercover federal agent who was caught and shot by Cash's gun. Yeah, they've got everything on tape of those guys being there. Yeah. And oh dear. 
yeah, a, a court case ensues because they get arrested by the feds, um, and they're just like, oh shit, they're 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 fucked, basically. Yeah, <laughs> so they've got them banged to rights, but then during the course of the court case, they do them a deal that that they'll only get eighteen months for murdering a federal agent. <laughs> That's America, man. That's that's how America works, isn't it? They only just they just plea bargain city. Eighteen months in a low security prison, um, but because Jack Palance and his mates have a lot of cops on the payroll, doesn't quite work out that way. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean they end up in this jail, and that I'm immediately recalling the review that that guy on Letterboxd gave, where everything is in is on fire. The jail is on fire for being walked through. Like just not just like little bits, just like literally yeah. a flame everywhere. Yeah, but before they before they go for a lovely stroll through the jail that's on fire, they have a lovely shower together. Oh, they do. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's a lot of ass-based media going on. There is a lot of uh, a lot of bare naked asses. It's a very homoerotic movie, I think. <laughs> well, last week we were talking about uh, the best match cut in cinema history being the cut from uh, the screaming mother on Isla Sauna to Jeff Goldblum in the subway. But I think the match cut of uh, Tango and Cash walking in clothed to the prison and then it cutting directly to their naked asses as they stroll into the show <laughs> and see them. I think it's going to give it a run for its money to be at oh, least. <laughs> oh, God. What more do you want? And honestly, like the dialogue between these two guys, I mean, already it's been like two raging bantasauruses. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's just constant. It's like, could you not just have a normal conversation? No, because no, they're not real people at all. They talk to each other in a constant stream of zingers and one liners. <laughs> Yeah, uh, everything is a pun, isn't it? Yeah, this point, or you know, a question, or, or, or an ironic sneer. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get to talking about each other's, you know, manhoods. Yeah, and it's yeah. all a bit... What <laughs> called the other Minnie Mouse? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It really what I'd like to have seen here at this point is just, like, how much it would have freaked people out in 1989. It'd be so worth doing it if they just started kissing, like, in the show. <laughs> For a solid three minutes, like <laughs> they're so in love with each other, yeah, because they basically see a reflection of themselves in the other person. <laughs> uh, then I mean, right? So no one in this prison likes them. They get a very harsh introduction. That's <laughs> uh, going to involve things going into their asses. There are <laughs> lots of suggestion that they're going to be made to endure some, you know, some acts. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> and everything's on fire, and then they get in, <laughs> into their lovely cells that aren't so lovely. And, uh, you know, they they're introduced their cellmates, and, you know, they're not much better either. <laughs> Just why is... Tango got a newspaper with him and starts reading out, just dead relaxed, starts reading out the stock information. Yeah. <laughs> with Ron Howard's brother in, yeah. as his yes, cellmate. Yeah. <laughs> Clint Howard's like a like a, a weird serial killer psychopath uh, in, in his cell. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, we, we see um, uh, Face as well. He He's in prison because they basically say all the people in this prison have been put there by Tango and Cass. So they're just yeah. like, oh, shit. And then we see uh, faces back, and he's just like bane for blood of um, mm. Tango specifically. 
And there's a nice little cone on the barbarian joke, a nice little dig at Schwarzenegger. Yeah, there <laughs> there's is a lot of these in the films, wasn't there, where they just like have a little yeah. dig at each other in all these movies. <laughs> I'm just baffled by what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I love every single minute of it. <laughs> well, the, where's the authorities? I mean, what's what's happening? They, they get taken down to some sort of laundry area where they're going to get electrocuted and everyone's there. It's a fight club. Uh, yeah, and, and Jack <laughs> Palance is there under, in the bottom floor of this prison. How's he got here? Uh, you know, you see in a minute how difficult it is for them to escape going over massive. Jack Palance has got some sort of just well, he's got a key. Yes, like, yeah. Maybe it's all part of his compound because he never seems to leave that. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but they get away. The, the police eventually, you know, get there. They're going to be killed in a very elaborate way, sort of strung up, then dropped into some some bins full pretty of water. Brutal. That, that is would be awful. Brutal. Yeah, be absolutely it's, terrible. It's, it's uh, by Brian James. Uh, who's like Palance's lead henchman? What is going on here at all? <laughs> what is that accent? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know how that came about? So the, uh, he was going to be the henchman. Uh, obviously, he he played a replicant in Blade Runner, and he was supposed to have two lines of dialogue. So to, he took a chance when he was on set and just started talking in this god awful Cockney accent. And Stallone loved it so much that he took over script duties and just wrote him loads of lines. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> to hell with the tone of the movie. He's uh, good, but I I remember this is how stupid children are. Well, stupid I was as a child. Uh, I thought he was British, and I was like, oh, he's he's English. And my dad was like, oh, come on, really? he's not English. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Like, Call <laughs> blimey, governor! I'm gonna stick you in this. You bloody I, wanker. I, oh, you'll be frying your bollocks off, you will. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just oh. like, let's just use loads of English colloquialisms like tosser and wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you were saying last week that you didn't like how oh. English people were always <laughs> portrayed as insufferable tops. Uh, do, you, do you prefer this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't prefer this. But that said, you know, I didn't know either he wasn't British. <laughs> I just thought it was a terribly written role. <laughs> but then again, I, I still maintain that Dick Van Dyke's accent in Mary Poppins is good. So. <laughs> Plus as well. We, you know, so is what I know. <laughs> having covered a couple of Charlie Hunnam movies on this, it's sometimes English people can't even do English accents all <laughs> <Yeah>. that way. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we got you again, Hunnam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> they... Um, they're shown how to escape by someone who uh, Cash knows, who used to be his sort of commanding officer on something, but now is a prison. Yeah, woman. he just turns up from from nowhere. Like, Easy, does he live in the he? Does he live in the jail laundry room? Was I mean, he just like trying to sleep in one of the washing machines? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see him take his his bloody police exam and do an interview to get a job <laughs> in a police in, in a prison? <laughs> Serendipitous coincidence, James. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed an odd place for him to be hanging out at midnight on a weeknight. <laughs> and then he, he gives him blueprints and maps and says, right, this is how you escape. And Cash, sorry, Tango says, I'm not going to escape. Um, and Cash goes on without him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's I mean, all... Can I just, can I just, yeah. sorry, Rob, I just need Please, to mention, um, as mentioned on. National Treasure episode, maybe. We've got a close-up of Map with fingers tapping on it. Yes! This is my advice. This is a 
This might have. Oh, this yes. is where this obsession may have come from. From this oh, scene yes. of Stallone tapping on this map. They also say shaft a lot during this. <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. They're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so many shaft shafts. I mean, it, it's so he's the 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 plan oh. is Cash is going to push around some wheelie bins for a bit and then run. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> hey, it's a solid plan. It's a yeah, solid it, plan. I mean, it works. Until he, it, it rains a lot, until he's about to fall into a, a fan. Yeah. And Tango appears to save him, couldn't let him go by himself. Yeah. Cued by another lick of the score. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the score's oh, so yeah. good. The score is the star of this movie. Everything else <laughs> oh, is. It, is. <laughs> it really is. It really uh, is. And they're in, I mean, they're in sort of vests. Oh, yeah. Aren't they? White vests. It's obviously de rigueur for 1989 for action heroes to dress this way. Yeah, and they're both just pumped up, aren't they? Like, yeah. like, I mean, they were both <laughs> close to death, weren't they? Like, literally 30 <laughs> seconds early. <laughs> Being dumped in electrified water. <laughs> but they're all right now. Yeah, I think this is why, why I had such an affinity for this movie, because at this point, it's just Jack Burton. All I'm saying yeah, it is, is Jack isn't Burton. it? Yeah, it definitely is. This. Yeah, the same way he's like shouting at all the inmates. He's got that. Does anyone shout better in movies than Kurt? Uh, like, is anyone that like that cocksure confident? Yeah, oh, it's, it's so good, superb. Um, I, I think they're ace in this movie. They're good. I think they're both ace. I'm, I'm, I've got whatever failings this movie may or may not have. It's not down to me at all to the music or Stallone or Russell. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Russell's being his normal, like charismatic, lovable self, isn't he? Like, yeah. That's just what he is in every film. And then I think Stallone is seeing that and trying to do it himself. And he's like, yeah. "Oh, I want to be a fun guy as well." Because <laughs> up up until this, he's done Rambo and yeah. uh, Rocky. Rocky and Cobra was the film immediately. Yeah, before, I think. And he was very serious in that. Yeah. So he's just out. This is where Stallone starts to have a bit of fun, isn't it? In the turn of the 90s. And he just has a bit more fun with his movies. And what Demolition Man wasn't that long after this. No, no. Where he's honed that quite a lot. Because he's a lot funnier in Demolition Man than he is in this. But yeah, yeah. this is clearly like where he starts to do that. I can be a funny guy as well sort of thing. For the most part, he pulls it off. I think. I think they're both yeah, really agree, good. Totally. Yeah, it's great. Really good, and their their chemistry's good. Got no quibbles with this whatsoever. Really enjoying it. Um, they clamber about on the roofs in the rain. Yeah. Um, they keep. I've never seen so much a... rain in my life. Like, <laughs> in LA as well. It yeah. never rains in LA. <laughs> Absolutely kicking it down. They they keep dropping such massive dif- distances without breaking a single bone. They're always falling. 30 feet. Every <laughs> puddle that they fall into is like eight feet deep as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and they're out and they're away. Um, but not before Tango has a scrap with face yeah. um, in amongst some electricity cables and, well, you know, just electrocutes him, kills him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and this leads to uh, that I hate Danish line, which... Uh, <laughs> It's a bit of a dig at his ex-wife, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what were you doing up there? You, did you stop for coffee and the Danish? I hate Danish. <laughs> There's so many like real-world digs in this movie, yeah. isn't there? You can tell every line that Stallone has written, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, and they, they part ways, yeah. and 
what is this sub James Bond Q scene all about? <laughs> what police department has dogs like that and cars what like is that? This? It's not a police department. <laughs> it's clearly watching? some sort of illegal operation uh, that <laughs> that Cash knows about. And then later in the film, um, Ray Tango just asks Cash. He goes, "I don't know why I'm full naming him. It must be from the last film. <laughs> Hangover from last week." <laughs> Ray Tango asks Gabriel Cash, is Owen, don't know his second name, family? And he goes, maybe. Like, that's all the explanation we get. But he's like <laughs> some weird, like, Q nerd who just makes, <laughs> makes exploding Cash's dogs. It's, it's, you know, dogs. it's not far from, like, here are your, you know, here are your gadgets for this mission, Tango and Cash. Uh, the, the dog is absolutely, I mean, it's the worst dog model <laughs> And he's not fooling anyone with that. He's <laughs> got a massive chew hanging out of his mouth that's a gun barrel. And it, it's a stuffed toy with a big gun in it. And um, he says it's the latest in OAP home security. <laughs> <laughs> so Some granny's got that at home. I'd, I'd be worried for the uh, for the OAPs because they're going to get caught in the crossfire of exploding <laughs> head. Oh dear! Oh god! I, I, I just didn't know. I mean, just like they give them a massive gun. Yeah, you know, he doesn't want any of this toy stuff yet. yet. He just wants the massive gun. <laughs> Oh. So they're basically out on the outside and they're catching up with all the people who uh, lied on the stand to get them who convicted. Screwed them over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stallone goes to see an FBI guy who um, who's eating a disgusting plate of spaghetti, which Stallone <laughs> re- <laughs> is absolutely repulsed by. And he goes, Soon as you're not too keen on counting calories, perhaps you've been counting all the money that they paid you off with. <laughs> <laughs> Worst one liners in cinema history. Like. No, that's later. That is that is there's no, there a is really one. bad one later. <laughs> <laughs> it's building. It's building. It's, yeah, it's building. Well no, he gets there is something about iron in his diet or something yeah. like that. You know, like I'll shoot you, you know, like your diet's not so good, so maybe you'll put a little more iron in yeah. your diet. It's like, oh we're doing two diet zingers, are we here? <laughs> <laughs> um and then he gets car bombed. The dude gets iced. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> Don't know why. Well, the well the Jack Palance good because he's saying I'm dead anyway because like you've escaped from prison. Oh so right, yeah, yeah. To kill yeah. me, so it's not. So they even yeah. got a bomb in his car. It didn't just blow uh, up. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, just a coincidence that he blown up. He was very. Um, he was at one moment. He was like, "No, I'll never. You know, I'll never tell you anything. You know, like." And then immediately, like, there was a deal. <laughs> and then um, he said, well, they want me dead. My life is worth nothing. <laughs> I'm miserable. <laughs> he completely breaks down within a second of, qu- of Stallone's quips. <laughs> he goes through the seven stages of grief in about 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Over a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> and then Cash goes to Skinner's little sound lab to, like, uh, dust him down and get get the answers from him because yeah. he obviously lied on the stand and and made a a sort of fake conversation between the two of them, which pointed the finger at them. But the the thing I love about this scene is it's got Cash's lovely theme tune on, you know, the the more whimsical one. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a serious picture. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the the it's like. 
because Kurt Russell's there in, in his little lab and he's, he's like listening to all the kit and stuff and then he, he shoots the speaker and when he shoots the speaker the theme tune stops no, it's so it's like was he listening to his theme tune <laughs> <laughs> I love it is this score oh, diegetic or non-diegetic who knows at this stage <laughs> oh, just, uh, I, uh, I just love everything about it. Every minute is yeah. hilarious. And Jeter brilliant. is lovely and, and sort of um, yeah, yeah. slippery and, you know. Uh, and then we go to this club with a motorbike on stage. <laughs> what a mad club this is. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't on. understand the purpose of this club. Don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so after they split up, uh, Tango Cash after the prison, Tango says to him, oh, go to this club and ask for this name yeah and then she'll tell you where i am yeah and the club is uh i don't know what it is it's not a strip club is it no I don't no, know no. What... it has live entertainment <laughs> live entertainment. entertainment with <laughs> quotation marks and we see terry hatcher who is the catherine who's the, the name tango tells him to who we believe is his other half at this point yes um, i thought it was his daughter yeah, uh, and she comes out and does a little dance. Yeah, and then... to an absolutely massive tune by Yazoo. Don't go. Oh, yeah. like <laughs> great. And you know, they really stiffed her on the prop with just just a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> and a drum machine. She gets a drum machine as well. R- ridiculous drum sound. <laughs> it's amazing it because amazing. I mean it's one of the worst dance routines I've ever seen on film. Like. <laughs> Have you seen Showgirls, James? <laughs> True. It's, it's up there because obviously Terry Hatcher isn't a dancer because they keep cutting to a wide of what's clearly a double. And then an integral part of the uh, of the act is her doing uh, Yazoo on the drum machine. But for some reason, the bartender's been in, put in charge of hold, uh, holding, <laughs> the stick. holding her sticks. And he's getting like... <laughs> harassed by cash at the bar and then when he hangs the stick to her this other guy starts giving him jip as well like hey I've been waiting 15 minutes for this beer and it's like okay but it's on me it's like as, as if the poor barman's not got enough dealing with a, a rowdy crowd wanting some beer and he's on his own at the bar but he's got to, he's got to be the drumstick handler as well <laughs> He's the most identifiable character in the whole film. Like, he's the most uh, three-dimensional person in this entire <laughs> The footer I don't. You don't even see his face, I don't think. He's he's like five lines. Head. Like, yeah. Yeah, he has a conversation with Kurt Russell, then he gets shouted at by Terry Hatcher, and then he gets shouted at oh. by some day player as well. <laughs> oh, God. It's just... Oh, God, it's superb. And then, uh, so Kurt Russell goes backstage to chat to Catherine, or Kiki, as she's known in the club. It's yeah. not a strip club, though. You'd, you'd think it would be with a name, yeah. Kiki. But don't uh, let that stop you getting some uh, good old-fashioned 80s gratuitous nudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally needless, shameless pubage. Just no need. <laughs> I, 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 it was... And I immediately was thinking, like, did Joel Silver do this? No, no. <laughs> John Peters got a brainwave when he was styling Barbara Streisand's hair, like... <laughs> Uh, There's not enough tits in that movie I'm producing. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the boldest decision that um, an action movie's made, especially in the 80s. This is... I want to applaud the filmmakers and Kurt Russell for having the the sheer bravado to pull this off. So to give it just a little bit of setup, uh, basically in, in in the club, Cash is searching for Catherine's because everything's getting a bit hot and he needs to 
get reacquainted with his uh, with his lover. I mean, partner uh, <laughs> Ray Tango. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they need to sneak out the club away from the uh, police who were all over the place. Uh, so Rob, yeah, take it away. Well, I mean, he starts by turning to the guy who was on the motorbike and saying, "Hey, Elvis!" You know, immediately disses him. He, the guy doesn't seem to mind. Uh, what you know? What size do you wear? And then we cut to, you know, I'm thinking we're going to see Cash in some amazing leathers, you know, yeah. studded bike leathers. And then Cash starts, well, the somewhat a biker starts walking out, you know, past the, the cops and the cops are like, hey, wait there, you know, and take the helmet off. And it's, oh, it's Terry Hatcher. How she's got all that floofy hair in that helmet, I've absolutely no <laughs> idea. But, um, and so you're like, oh, where's Cash? And then we turn back. And there's the gratuitous ankle right the way to the tip of her head camera shot of <laughs> of Kurt Russell in full makeup dressed as a woman. It's yeah, outstanding. Full drag. Yeah, full, it's full it is drag. outstanding. He got you know um, he was nominated for a Razzie for worst supporting actor. <laughs> oh, well, oh god, that's just yeah. well, the Razzies can get in the bin anyway. So yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> The worst bit of this point is where the copper is like, oh my god, I almost trying to chat her up. She's trying to chat her up. So then she get hit. Well, uh, uh, Kurt Russell gets on the bike in in full drag, and then the guy goes, "Any chance of a three way?" (laughs) (laughs) Why would you say that? Like. To, to Terry Hatcher and Kurt Russell, like as a policeman on duty, you think that's an in acceptable front, thing to say? He's in front of his superior officer. Is he's stupid to his boss? No chance of a three-way. Like, as you leave a like, crime scene, like, can I get your number or anything? You know, at least a, a bit more subtle. He just goes straight in there, and he. Just, I was just like, what? <laughs> um. They, and then Hatcher gives Russell a massage with a lovely piano scoreline. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, don't you dare cheat on Ray. Yeah, uh, on, like, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it, Terry. I put in my notes, inappropriate, question mark. And then... Uh... <laughs> well, it would have been. Yes. Uh... But no, no, Sly arrives. And he looks annoyed, but not as annoyed if Terry Hatcher were his, were his partner. Yes. Uh, but don't worry, Jeffrey Lewis is here, uncredited with his massive wig. <laughs> Break up the action. <laughs> uh, um, you can always, now, now we're looking at it through this particular lens, I can almost see the embarrassment on him in every scene. Uh, yeah. And then it pushes him, yeah, they, they grapple or on the in the garden. Yeah. Uh, and there's the back and two, went, and then it's revealed that Terry Hatches. Oh, Rob, Rob, before we get to that, oh, sorry. I thought this was the worst one liner you have in movie history you were talking about. Because what happens is Sly goes bounding across the living room, takes the door out of its frame, which happens to be a screen door. This is very important, and flattens <laughs> its captain onto the grass. And the captain, through the screen door, says, Is this how you screen all of your guests? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was very good actually I really like that and because it was from sour face Jeffrey Lewis um, uh, I was even more enjoying it I've just put in all I've got on that bit is the captain in his glorious wig arrives <laughs> <laughs> entirely accurate entirely accurate and, and he offers uh, Kurt Russell a, a cigarette from his packet and he says no then takes it out of his mouth <laughs> such a disgrace you know, so, 
So the captain basically gives them 24 hours to clear the names before mm. he has to take them back in. Which I love that. I love that. Yeah, gives them the skinny on um, the British dude who's... Uh, what, what's his name? Rakeen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the names in this film. Just call people Barry. Just give us <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Brian James. So they go after Brian James, basically. That's yeah, the yeah. next sort of... Uh, Yes, who they start calling Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, for (laughs) no discernible reason. It it won't be a party without Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) Oh, and and this bit is... um, This is what what I thought Rob you were telling me, saying about the worst line of the movie. No, still later. Still later. later. Oh, wow. Still later. (laughs) So, uh, Tango and Cash... um, get Rakeen and dangle him off the roof. Yeah. Um, and then they realise he's not really phased by that, so they then tie him up and put a grenade in his mouth. And he's like, cool, blimey, governor, I'm hanging off Come the on. roof, I like it up here. <laughs> I don't know what this means, but Stallone says to him, if you don't want to get sticky, if you don't want to get sticky, get back, Jack. <laughs> and then that's his line. I'm like, what? Uh, I, what? Yeah. Where's the punchline, I, I, Sly? Yeah. <laughs> I I do not know uh, what that's all about. Um, but I thought their good cop bad cop routine was really good. It was, yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're good. So yeah, they they play good really cop bad good cop together to, to get uh, Rakeen to give give her the names. Yeah, uh, which he does. He gives Eve's Perrette's name because um, he actually thinks he's going to pull the pit out of the grenade. But instead, he proceeds to put it down his pants. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then it's a dud. It's a dud. Yeah. And he fell for the bad cop, worst cop routine. And now yeah, they, they've got I, the name that they need. And now all they need is some artillery. And luckily, <laughs> Kurt Russell knows just the man to go to. <laughs> He's got the sucker on wagon from hell. <laughs> it's like the Batmobile, isn't it? With a big minigun on the side of it. <laughs> I, I, I mean... Tonally, I've no idea where we are at this point. And <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it definitely feels like a Bond, sort of a, 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 like a bit they found a page of script from an old Bond film lying around somewhere. I thought this might work. Yeah, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> this could work. Yeah, uh, like it's got all the stuff like the you know machine guns and turbo buttons. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. Well, it's like John Peters has spent so much time producing Batman that everything now has to have a Batman element to it. So, like, yeah. got this, they've got this RV from hell, a violent work of art, as uh, Kurt Russell calls it. And it's basically <laughs> just like, like you said, Rob, it's a soccer mom uh, <laughs> suburban yeah, I, vehicle I, from hell. And it's I, just a really crappy Batmobile. <laughs> it is. I don't know why why it's there. And I, I, Well, also, is it because they know that Jack Palance has some... You know, why why has he got a massive factory? Why has it got a dirt track outside? It's a quarry. <laughs> it's a quarry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do LA have an abundance of quarries? I don't know. <laughs> do Tango and Cash know this at this stage? Are they even going to have any use for this vehicle? <laughs> I mean, imagine if like, they just drove it to some like nice warehouse somewhere. Oh, that was a bit of a waste of time doing it that one. <laughs> They didn't really need that. Um, but they need a lot of space to do some donuts in that big sweet ride. Uh, they definitely so, do. And blow shit up without hurting any innocent bystanders. So a quarry is a lovely way to do this. Yeah, uh, it, it, it really, really is. Um, and also, they, they might end up fighting some diggers. How they knew this, <laughs> obviously, I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, they and suddenly they know where Palance is, so they go find him. Um, yeah. They end up in this great big. Yeah. It's like a, a great big 
de- demolition derby kind of basically, thing. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a lot of shit gets blown up. There's a lot of like cars fighting each other, and uh, I, we haven't done favorite bits yet, but this is definitely up there. Um, <laughs> for some reason, when Palance gets wind that Tango and Cash are in the building or the quarry, and they have come to sort of end this all. He decides to uh, set off, you know, as you would as a drug baron, set off the self destruct sequence in your in your in your quarry. <laughs> so there's a self destruct. He's about to blow up in like twenty minutes. <laughs> this there's a moment as well where you can see how choppily edited this has been put together in post and how much has been re-edited. Because you know how Tango and Cat have been talking to each other totally in zingers for the whole thing. There's a brilliant example of one just not making sense whatsoever. Like, so Kurt Russell's driving this RV from hell through the quarry and he's driving quite erratically. And uh, Tango turns to him and goes, where did you learn to drive? And he just shouts back, Stevie Wonder! Like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Who taught you to drive? (laughs) Oh, God. Just an absolute mess. (laughs) The lines are just absolutely bonkers. um, They've got Terry Hatcher now. I didn't yes. know that they knew that they no, were related, I didn't know. But... I didn't. I didn't know they'd had her. I don't know when that happened. Yeah, because I thought I was half expecting the captain to be revealed. You know, Wigo. Yeah, yeah. As, as like a bad guy, a turncoat. <laughs> oh, and I would have been devastated if that happened. But um, but no, but yeah, that for some somehow they've got managed to kidnap Catherine, so she's the sort of damsel in distress they have to save. Who they're both into, obviously, because sister and future lover. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the way you said lover. Sir. Future lover. Future yeah. lover. <laughs> There's two heroes, but we've only got one henchman left. So like, oh shit, who's going to fight uh, Ray Tango? Because Cash is dealing with the British ginger dude. So they throw this kung fu guy who just really hates glass furniture and just goes around <laughs> kicking all sorts of glass furniture all over the shelf. Every shelf ever that he can Every see gone. inside. Yeah. I am getting rid of he's you. Gonna ta- he's going to swan tub on people through tables, <laughs> glass tables. He, oh my God, there's so much glass furniture gets absolutely smashed in this place. Like, oh. What I love most about this is that this is a big standoff. So uh, Ray Quinn has got hold of uh, Terry Hatcher. Ray Quinn? Didn't he win Britain's Got Talent or something? Yeah. <laughs> I think he did, actually, yeah. I can't, like, Requin, I can't separate the two now. <laughs> he would have had a more convincing British accent. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> You're going down cash. anyway so basically uh the baddies have all the advantages here they've got tango's sister got a a grenade round the back of her head it's got a gun on cash the the other uh, the two cops have been disarmed but basically they decide to give away all of those advantages and have a big hand-to-hand dust up thus (laughs) evening the playing field for no reason whatsoever there's so much is this out before or after where they get to the office and there's a lovely pencil drawing of a of an explosion <laughs> with lovely shading. Yeah, this is just after it's because uh, 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 Palance has got away, hasn't he? And he's, yeah, he's yeah. He's set so, I mean, so he set the the self destruct <laughs> button, but he's just gone like, "Hang on a minute, wait." Just lovely drawing. <laughs> it's coloured in. Let me get all that. Let me get. Has anyone got the pencil? It's coloured in. Yeah, has it got it's the, lovely. the red pen? The red yeah, pen, yeah. so I can write boom with a bit more impact. I mean, <laughs> How could you not love this film? This film is brilliant. I, <laughs> I had that. I'm enjoying all of this hugely. 
then, so yeah, I mean, Kung Fu guy gets taken out pretty easily. Yeah. Really. And, and well, he does it himself, doesn't he? Because he's just kicking yeah. shelves. And you're like, why are you kicking shelves? He's over there. <laughs> uh, Ray Quinn gets chucked down some stairs, followed by a grenade. <laughs> oh yeah, he gets fully blown up, doesn't he? Oh, he gets he gets iced, and I found that really satisfying. I love that. And then, um, why does the foreman of this quarry have a small hall of mirrors? <laughs> because slice the loaded. <laughs> Enter the dragon. I <laughs> wanted to recreate that. Why? Why? I, 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 can you imagine, like, future quarry managers? Like, the quarry looks great, but where's the small hall of mirrors? I, <laughs> they're looking at the floor plan. Looking at the floor plan. Yeah. Like, What's this, like, six by six weird thing with all these? Oh, that's the hall of mirrors. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of an offshoot from the annex, which is an evil layer. So that's right. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> I had a nightmare on my first day. I was looking for the toilet and I ended up going in there and there was some weird stuff with mice going on in that place. <laughs> uh, but Palance is still there, you know. I mean, he's still chewing scenery like it's a death row meal, but he's still there. <laughs> he, he is loved. Well, I mean, as rumour has it, he wasn't loving the role, but it seems yeah. like he's enjoyed himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was really excited to play... to being scenes alongside Sliced Alone, but all of those scenes got cut from the script and it's no. just this last bit in the script where he's with he's in the same scene as Stallone and he was a bit gutted that he didn't get to And I think they shot them all him. separately as well, like because they're never in a two shot together. I mean, he gets he gets um he just gets shot in the head. <laughs> That's it. He does I mean, like just... half a monologue and gets shot in the face. Like... <laughs> uh and they all run out, you know, um, and the whole place blows up. You know, the self-destruct button, you know, was a real thing. You know, it wasn't a bluff. <laughs> it really did go up in smoke. And then it's the worst line ever. Oh, lots of new pollution in the sky tonight, and they call it Perrette. Yeah. <laughs> and Zing. Like, what? <laughs> well, <laughs> my question at this point um, is, so... Perrette has pushed his self-destruct sequence button. What if he wins this bout and the Kung Fu guy manages to kill Tango and the British dude manages to kill Cash and they're like, oh, shit, uh, our, our whole place is about to blow up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've gone too soon. I was so unnerved by Tango and then Cash and then Cash and then Tango. Quick, my mice! <laughs> I wasted all that time on a cartoon. <laughs> well, I could have been running away. Through an intricate system of underground tunnels. <laughs> but Tango or Cash cannot find me. He, he was actually en route to escape, but he got stuck in the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> so He's just wandering go. around in there for ages. Yeah. And then when, when he was found, he just had to style it out. Yeah, like, he just oh, had yes, to style I meant it to out. be here. I was supposed to be here. He didn't even grab Terry Hatcher. She was lost as well. And they just <laughs> it. Everyone got lost in the Hall of Mirrors. But as, uh, as all great 80s movies should end, we end on a high five freeze frame. <laughs> We yeah. do. It's I mean, brilliant. it's brilliant. And they have a brilliant, you know, like looking at the explosion and, you know, a couple of little zingy, zingy lines and then job done, high five, freeze frame. We're out of here, baby. Another newspaper clipping. Another yes, great yes. <laughs> The high five. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and, and there we are. We're done. Um, 
what you concludes bits? the best movie ever made. On, I, <laughs> I, all I know is I've had ninety-four minutes, is it, of of the some of the highest entertainment I can remember. <laughs> uh, best bits, James. What, what's your best bit? Uh, it's a very minor bit. And I don't know why, but when Tango and Cash are escaping the prison in the rain and Stallone gets tripped by that uh, by the massive guy face, he goes down and screams like he's dropping 80 stories. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's so over the top. It made me laugh out loud and I rewound it several times to relive that moment. <laughs> like he gets tripped over and he's like, oh, he's like, Phoenix! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably because he was landing into 20 feet of rainwater. <laughs> yeah. L- that, that LA, famous LA rainwater. Say, <laughs> uh, so what about you, man? I mean, this being a favourite of yours, you must have a few favourite moments. There are a few. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of them, but it's actually the same scene uh, James has just mentioned. I, I love the bit where they use the belts to get off the roof. Um, yeah, the yeah. Cables. I think that's a really cool, actually, a genuinely cool yeah. bit of like action sequence from an action movie. But it's made even better because you you the you can see the stuntman with his obvious fake bonds as he's just <laughs> jumping into the cable. Because obviously Kurt Russell has got gorgeous real hair, but no one else, no one's got hair like that in Hollywood apart from Kurt Russell. So <laughs> horrendous helmet wig. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think... love that bit. That's the most memorable because I remember. Yeah. yeah, that is a very memorable scene for me when I was watching this as a kid. Definitely. Mm. Um, I, I definitely love that bit as well. Um, uh, the bit where Russell jumps out into the void and grabs for the cable to, you know, for safety. Uh, I thought it was really exhilarating. Um, can I also just add uh, Russell's entire look during the court sequence? The <laughs> nice blue jeans and tan sort of tweed coat. It's honestly, it's just it's and that hair. Boots. That hair. I mean, <laughs> next time I'm due in court, hopefully, you know, that, that might be. I, d- I haven't done anything, so hopefully, it hopefully, it's not for, for the murder of a federal agent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hopefully, it's not for that. Uh, uh, I will be dressing like that. But no, I I find it. Extremely hard to look past the sheer chutzpah of Russell marching out in full drag. I just can't. That <laughs> moment when I saw it the first time, I was like, <laughs> you know, and, and I've not stopped feeling like that since I saw it. Um, and it, it was the minute where, like, this, this, I felt like the film's really leaning into it now. You know, it might have thought it was serious at one stage. Now, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's really gone for it now. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, FYR. Uh, say as is per our custom, you'll go last. James, for your reconsideration, Tango and Cash. Yeah, so this is a, a first watch for me, uh, and I just found it that it was the it was the buddy cop formula boiled down to its most basic elements, where horrific acts of violence are only interrupted by a constant stream of one-liners. <laughs> it is a bit of a mess, but a fun mess, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy every ridiculous meat-headed minute of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Russell and Sly play off each other well. It moves at a tremendous clip. And that Harold Faltermeyer score is absolutely joyous. And I think, you know, for fans of cheesy 80s action movies, it's an absolute must. So, yeah, if you think that's going to be your bag, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, I I love it. I mean, um, for myself, as a mad artefact, because that's what this is, really, (laughs) of of the 80s, (laughs) um, this is a massively flawed 
curio, but it's a definite yes. It's a truly star-studded great buddy cop partnership <laughs> in two of the biggest stars of the era, um, just having an absolute whale of a time. That said, I mean, this script is absolutely bonkers. Um, and <laughs> But it's, I'm still enjoying it because of that, because this is something that it, I don't think it knows really what it is, and that's obviously emphasised by how much trouble it's had behind the scenes. Um, but if you can just enjoy the music and the buddy cut pairing and the fact there's loads of guns and the shootouts and chases and people being cool and there's so much machismo on display, you know, it's out of there. I mean, the runtime is absolute sweet spot, but it feels like so much has been left out. Um, I think that um, if you take the, the film as it stands and you to put their imprisonment at the 20 minute mark, say, yeah. and then the breakout 10 minutes later and then have an hour of them un unraveling the mystery and ending up at the quarry um, after possibly, you know, you could have had a, even had a cage prison montage in there. <laughs> Dear yeah. Hummingbird, <laughs> it would have really worked. They um, would have just been writing the letters to each other, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Calling each other Hummingbird. Um, but no, that said, I, I just, I, you're, I'm, you're right. I'm amazed I've not seen it before. Really, really enjoyed it. If you like 80s cinema, what on earth are you doing having not seen this? And that's what I was saying to myself afterwards. It's definitely one to check off on that sort of list of movies, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, I, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, yes, we may. But I, I think with its obvious similarities to Big Trouble in Little China, namely because Kurt Russell being in a vest and cracking funnies for the majority of the runtime, it doesn't take Columbo to figure out why I have such a fondness for this movie. <laughs> the script is so ridiculous and so corny. It's all overplayed and completely overacted by everyone. <laughs> and it is a snapshot of an uber-macho bygone era that we don't really miss in the scope of films, but it's great to look back on them with fun and to just have a laugh and enjoy the just how bonkers it is. And it does, you know, if there's one thing what's genuinely good about it, it is the soundtrack is brilliant. It's such a such a good soundtrack. So yeah, I just love it. I absolutely love it. I'm so glad I've I brought a film to you guys you'd never seen before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, good. Thank you. This was like Christmas. This hey, um, if Sly ever gets Tango and Cash 2 off the ground, as he keeps talking about, he's going to, like, he's going to sequelize all of his movies. Apparently, he just keeps on ringing up Kurt Russell and saying, yeah, Tango and Cash 2, should we do that? <laughs> I can just imagine Russell, like, going... Like telling Goldie Hawn to screen his calls while he goes out to play golf. Like. What, with an actual screen door? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it's not Tarantino or Carpenter, we're not interested. Go away, Sly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, um, thank you, fellas, and thank you, Sai, for bringing this. Um, Yes, this piece of cinema history to our attention. Awesome, awesome. Next week, it's my pick. So we are going to Peter Hyams land once again with 1997's The Relic. I've been threatening this for some time. Yes. Um, one of the reasons, though, I think we're going to do this is because it's currently on BBC iPlayer right now. And you can go and watch it for zero pounds and zero pence. Lovely. Uh, oh, well, oh, wait, because if you've of got the license, license, you need a license. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sorry about that. I'm so sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> thanks for reining me in there, sir. <laughs> um, because it's not, as I've checked, it's not actually on um, Amazon Prime to, to purchase. 
So, yeah, you can find it on the iPlayer. Super stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, please send us five stars on your subscription service of choice. Get in touch with us on Twitter at FYFFilmPod and uh, send us emails at reconsiderpod at gmail.com. I don't know why I say that. No one ever does. Unless it's, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's for something bad. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so if you need to sue us or to um, get send us to court for threatening a, or for killing a federal agent, <laughs> that's where you will send the the court documentation. Um, cheers. Say goodbye, boys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. Uh, right, I'm going to grow the hair so I can be Russell. Or at least get the wig. I mean, it's such a massive achievement. I don't like your chances, mate. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like my hairline and my face are having an argument, but my uh, face is winning. <laughs>